0: Well, hello again, Gary Zacharias with The Apologist Bookshelf. I'm going to tackle a book that's an older book, written in the 80s, actually, by Craig Blomberg. Uh, He's a professor of uh, New Testament at Denver Seminary. And uh, this book is called The Historical Reliability of the Gospels. And I know there are a lot of books like that, and a lot of books have tackled that issue. And uh, this one, I think, is right up there with them. In fact, the chapter I'm going to do... This is the first time I've tackled this book. Uh, the, the first chapter I want to look at in this book for this podcast actually has to do with the Jesus tradition outside the Gospels. And I think that's interesting. We always go to the Gospels. Of course, a lot of people are skeptical of the Gospels themselves, aren't really sure that they're uh, written by somebody who's looking at it, uh, Jesus' uh, life as a historian might. And they're they often turn Jesus into somebody who's merely human. And so uh, the back of the book says, is such skepticism justified? Can we trust the New Testament, to give us an accurate look at the nature and character of Jesus? And so this will be a little bit older as far as uh, whatever's going on currently, but I think this chapter uh, is not going to change over time. So it's the testimony of non-Christian writers. So he goes back to uh, Greco-Roman sources. And he says uh, something that's really tantalizing. I've heard this before, that there was an early third century historian who cites a statement from an earlier historian. We don't have that person's work. His name was Thallus. This third century historian, Julius Africanus, Africanus, cites a statement from this Thallus who wrote a chronology of world history, a chronicle in the first century, and he refers to darkness that occurred at the time of the crucifixion. Okay, well, that's interesting, isn't it? But we don't have uh, Thallus's work itself. We have somebody else quoting uh, from him, citing him. Then there's Pliny the Younger. He was a Roman legate in uh, basically where Turkey is today in the early 2nd century. We have letters that he wrote. One of his letters he wrote to the Emperor Trajan. He asked, how do we deal with Christians? They're not reverencing Caesar's image. And in that letter, Pliny notices that these Christians met regularly and sang hymns, quote, to Christ as if to a God, end quote. And of course, Blomberg points out that Pliny knew Jesus was real and didn't want to talk about him as divine. So he just said they sang hymns to Christ as if to a God. Well, that's exactly what they're doing. So listen to that. That is uh, somebody in the early second century who admits that Christians are singing songs to Jesus as a God. So this business that, oh, Christians far later, it was the 300s, 400s, sometime after that, where they kind of turned Jesus into a god. He was just a human, and they wanted to have a religion with a real spiffy kind of savior, so they turned Jesus into a god. No, Pliny is talking about that in early 2nd century. Here's a third source of evidence. This is Tacitus, who also was a writer in the early part of the 2nd century. So, what did Tacitus say about Jesus? Well, he described Christians were people who had received their name from, quote, Christ, who had been, sorry, Christ, who had been executed by sentence of the procurator Pontius Pilate in the reign of Tiberius. Of course, that's exactly what the New Testament says. Then, about five years later than Tacitus, we have another Roman historian, Suetonius. And he referred to the expulsion of the Jews from Rome in the time of the Emperor Claudius. Now, he's emperor in the 40s up to 54 AD. Well, why would he boot him out? He says, well, he was, uh, Claudius booted the Jews out because of rioting at the instigation of Christus. And many scholars view this as uh, Suetonius, who was kind of mistaken about who Christ was, the Latin Christus, and he Spell it C-H-R-E-S, Crestus. And they think it was the ter- turmoil among the Jews and the Christians arguing about Jesus, and that's what he's referring to. Now, he's mistaken. He thinks that Christ himself was present to instigate it, but look what it does. It, it points to Jesus as the leader of a group of dissident Jews, which is you know what we see of them today, not dissident, but a founder of Christianity. So Blomberg says, if you take the evidence of Thallus, and Pliny, and Tacitus, and Suetonius, who said there's a lot of data there to refute the idea that Jesus never existed. You don't have to look at what the Jews said or the Christian sources said. He said, that's about it, though. right? You don't discover much else about Jesus from Greco-Roman sources. He says, that shouldn't be surprising. Christianity had humble beginnings, and it was in a remote location of Palestine, the eastern frontier of the Roman Empire, And uh, we don't have a lot of the ancient writings of Greco-Roman historians that have survived. And so that's pretty amazing that we even have that much. He said, in addition, uh, the Jews were not accorded much uh, attention anyway. Okay, so that's Greco-Roman sources about Jesus. What else do we have? Well, how about Jewish sources? He said, when you take a look at how quickly Christianity became a Gentile religion and how the relationship between Christians and Jews deteriorated. He said it's, it's not surprising that even the Jewish tradition doesn't have much about Jesus. He says, but what they do have, it's more data than the Greco-Roman sources offered. And uh, so we're gonna take a look at that, this next part here. So let's look at rabbinic traditions. So this is still under the heading of what were the Jewish references to Jesus. He says, well, he's very honest. That's what I like about Craig Blomberg. He doesn't overpromise." He said, none of the testimony of the ancient rabbis perfectly matches what we get in the four Gospels about Jesus. But he said, if you look at him as developments and distortions of the historical facts, he said uh, several traditions don't even specifically mention Jesus' name, even though he's in view. So, for example, in the Palestinian Talmud in the 3rd century, so we're talking in the 200s, there's a rabbi who says this, If a man says to you, I am God, he's a liar. Or if he says to you, I am son of man, he will regret it. Or I will go up to heaven, he will not be able to do it. Now notice, they're not saying anything about Jesus' life, but obviously there's a knowledge of the Christian claims for Jesus. He said, These claims that the Christians have are never disputed by the Jews as some kind of inventions. They're just rejected as errors. So unlike modern skeptics, Blomberg says, the rabbis just, they never denied that Jesus made these claims. They just said, well, somebody who makes claims like this is a liar. So if Jesus was just this simple teacher that modern skeptics say, just a nice human guy, and the Christians just kind of distorted what he had to say, said, that, that shouldn't be the way it is that we find from the uh, Jewish traditions here. He says other rabbinic traditions actually refer to Jesus more directly. So he moves to the 5th century Babylonian Talmud, which is a discussion of the rabbis about important things to Jews. It says uh, there's a rebellious disciple as compared to one who publicly burns his food, like Jesus of Nazareth. So burning his food, that's a metaphor referring to distorting Jewish teaching. A few columns later on, again, 5th century, the claim is made that Jesus the Nazarene practiced magic and led Israel astray. Well, I think that's interesting. And Blomberg points out that both of these references reflect Jesus' disputes with the way Jews interpreted the law. And the second one seems to be admitting they worked some kind of miracles or wonders, even if they explained them differently than most Christians. Remember what they said, Jesus practiced magic and led Israel astray. So again, he said the Christian claims are not denied, they're just given a different interpretation. Um, In several places, Jesus is called Jesus Ben, which, which means son of, Pandera. And the second century Christian writer, Origen, said that the Jews believed that Jesus was the child of Mary by some kind of adulterous relationship with a Roman soldier named Pandera. So the name and the legend could come from a corruption of the Greek word parthenos for virgin and reflect knowledge of that Christian doctrine of the virgin birth. Now that's kind of an iffy thing, but he says that's a possibility. But he said you know both the Christian and the Jewish traditions seem to imply that Joseph was not Jesus' natural father. So that you can state uh, clearly there. He said the two items in the rabbinic traditions which are most widely believed to contain Some kind of independent testimony to real historical information about Jesus referred to his death and his disciples. So they say things like Jesus was hanged on the eve of the Passover. And it said, now, you can assume that crucifixion could be termed hanging. So that's interesting, isn't it? All right, then it says, all of this is guesswork. At the end of the day, one must admit that the rabbinic traditions offer precious little independent testimony to the ministry of Jesus. So I thought that was very fair of him. All right, who else? Well, Let's take another Jew, a very famous Jew, Josephus. Now, he wrote in the second half of the first century, and he seems to have some promising material. And in one book of his called The Jewish Antiquities, he makes a passing mention of James, the brother of Jesus, who was called the Christ. And he says James was delivered up to the Sanhedrin to be stoned in the decade of the 60s. And Josephus also tells of John the Baptist. So that's, to me, what's interesting about that, and Blomberg doesn't go into detail, but Josephus just kind of throws that out there and doesn't follow up. James, the brother of Jesus, who's called to Christ, as if this is the James I'm talking about, you know, Jesus's brother. Instead of saying, okay, I better tell you who Jesus is, he, he kind of assumes there, I think, that his audience is going to know something about Jesus, who is obviously a real person. But here's the part that Josephus wrote later on uh, that's significant, and that's the one that historians have looked at and wrestled around with for a long time. Here it is. About this time, there lived Jesus, a wise man, if indeed one ought to call him a man, for he was one who wrought surprising feats and was a teacher of such people as accept the truth gladly. He won over many Jews and many of the Greeks, he was the Messiah. When Pilate, upon hearing him accused by men of the highest standing amongst us, had condemned him to be crucified, those who had in the first place come to love him did not give up their affection for him. On the third day he appeared to them restored to life. For the prophets of God had prophesied these and countless other marvelous things about him. And the tribe of the Christians, so called after him, has still to this day not disappeared. So Blomberg says, obviously, if this is authentic, that's dramatic corroboration uh, about Jesus from somebody who's apparently not a Christian at all. But it said, you know, because he was not a Christian, it's pretty hard to attribute everything to him. It says some scholars have rejected that whole passage as some kind of later uh, job by a Christian scribe who was copying Josephus and just plopped this whole section in there. But he says, uh, no, recent studies have agreed that much of the passage is actually Josephus' style of writing. So the part about the Messiahship and the resurrection, that those things were probably added, but he says most of the passage really is authentic and that's maybe the most important ancient non-Christian testimony to the life of Jesus that we have. Well, do we have any other sources besides what we've just covered here, the Greco-Romans and the, Gre- and the uh, Jews? Yeah, we've got extra-biblical Christian traditions like what? Well, he says we have the Apostolic Fathers. That's a group of 2nd century or very late 1st century authors who wrote mostly letters and they were, saw themselves at least as faithfully preserving and transmitting the teachings of Jesus uh, and the dis- disciples without claiming inspiration themselves. And then he says that's one source. Another source is the Nag Hammadi Library, a bunch of Gnostic books. So we'll get to that in a minute. And he says, uh, we have uh, Gospels, we have Epistles, we have all sorts of genres uh, in this Nag Hammadi gathering. And he said there's a third category of literature, and that's New Testament Apocrypha. And so we'll get to those, and we'll go through those pretty quickly here. So let's start with the Apostolic Fathers. He says they all quote the Old Testament as authoritative scripture, and they have all sorts of frequent references to the New Testament as well. But uh, they don't label them as scripture, he says. But he says in most cases where the wording of a gospel tradition in the Apostolic Fathers, where it parallels Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, the natural assumption is that they knew those and were citing them from memory in, in many cases. So they knew the gospel writings and seemed to be on board with everything that was in there. Um, let's skip ahead here. Let's take a look at the long section about particular church fathers. I want to skip over that because most people uh, have no problem with church fathers and what they had to say. Uh, How about the second part of the Jesus tradition that he's referring to, and that's the Nag Hammadi Library. They were predominantly Gnostic in nature, and he said they make no pretense of overlapping with the gospel traditions of Jesus' early life. And the one key one there is, of course, the Gospel of Thomas. He said probably mid-2nd century or even later. So he looks at the Gospel of Thomas. It's not a narrative. It's a collection of 114 sayings that are attributed to Jesus. And he said a lot of them are Gnostic. What's Gnosticism? Secret knowledge. So, here's an example. This is uh, one of the most striking of these is the final one. This is the 114th saying. Simon Peter said to them, Let Mary leave us, for women are not worthy of life. Jesus said, I myself shall lead her in order to make her male, so that she too may become a living spirit, resembling you males. For every woman who will make herself male will enter the kingdom of heaven. Wow, really. He says much of what's in the Gospel of Thomas resembles what jesus really taught in the four gospels that we have matthew mark luke john um, but gnosticism is different it emphasizes salvation of knowledge so he says the author of the gospel of thomas apparently didn't know the new testament gospels even though he appeared to quote them a little bit loosely but he says there's very little evidence for the theory that the oral tradition behind the canonical gospels expanded and embellished the original testimony We go back there and we see that what they reported is apparently what Jesus really said and did. So then he has a section of all sorts of these Gnostic Gospels, and I'll skip over them. So he said, uh, then we have uh, these apocryphal Gospels that were given names of people that supposedly wrote them that are not true at all. He said the New Testament Apocrypha is a collection of works that's least often appealed to for authentic information. You get things like infancy gospels. So what, what they were doing was, they're trying to fill in the gaps in the historical record. For example, what was Jesus' childhood like? So they just make these stories up and they're so different from the gospels and what the apostles talked about in Acts that it's hard to believe that they rest on any secure historical foundation. He said, much of them are not objectionable, but uh, it's obviously fanciful. So I will skip over that as well. So he said, uh, the Jesus tradition, he said, after looking at this, he said, it's, you can't really find anything that throws out the historical reliability of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So that's good to know. Huh? All right, so I'll stop at this point. Again, the book is called The Historical Reliability of the Gospels. Craig Blomberg, anything he does is quality. Uh, sometimes it's not... Uh, is easy maybe to read because he goes into depth but if you want something that has some rich substance to it to it it's uh, any of blomberg's works okay well thanks and we'll do another uh, podcast soon